The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. Yes, what's going on? What's going on? Welcome back. Welcome in. Uh, you guys know I give you a second, decompress and get into the learning mode. Uh, we got started about 30 seconds in, so we should have plenty of people in the room ready to kick this conversation off. Welcome back to the Sell Better Daily Sales Show, where we bring you daily sales advice to help you get better. Change your chat settings to everyone down at the bottom right, and let us know where you're tuning in from in the chat. That's what I'd like to see from you guys right now. We got the housekeeping stuff up in there. Shout out to Dallas. Dallas, Shannon Buckley? Hey, what, what's happening, Shannon? How do we not know each <laughs> other, man? I can't just let that slide. <laughs> Long lost cousins. I don't. I mean, I ain't got nobody in Dallas. Shannon, you could be my somebody in Dallas. You know what I'm saying? All right, let's let's get talking right now. You are here to learn how to build an internal champion to help you close deals while you are not in the room. I am your host, James C. What Sales Buckley. I am joined by John Barrows and our very special guest today, Mr. Nate Nasrallah, founder of Fluent. Nate created an entire product and team that helps you stop closing deals when you're stop losing deals when you're not in the room. He's 100% focused on champions, and that is why he is in the room with us today. Before we get started, if you're looking to level up in 2023, we're here to help. With our Sell Better Daily Show, of course, we are live every day. Our membership with instant access to our training and our resources, and of course, our corporate training specific to your team. Check us out at sellbetter.xyz or scan this QR code. I love this QR code. Scan this QR code on your screen. It'll take you to get some more information. All right, it's time for your daily sales drop. This is the value that we put in the chat for you to change the game right away. And today we're inviting you tomorrow to Leslie Douglas's show. She is hosting Elizabeth Andrew and Sajan Patel tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And the topic is going to be how to lead your team in this environment today, in this economy today. So sales leaders, aspiring sales leaders, managers, directors, VPs, CROs, I don't care where you live. If you are anywhere near the power line, you need to be at this show tomorrow. I will wait while you go and sign up for it. Tell your boss. Thanks to our, what's that? I said, tell your bosses, tell your friends. Yeah, tell your bosses, tell your friends. Anybody that wants to be a leader one day, you ought to be here to learn about this stuff because this is the stuff that will make you a good leader, learning from other leaders that do it successfully every single day. Uh, okay, we like to talk about the stuff that's relevant to you. So take part in this first question right here. Who is in the room? We need to know so that we can tailor this conversation. Want to give a big shout out to Gong. Without you, we couldn't do this every day. Our sponsors and partners that we work with make it so that we can come live to you every day with actionable sales advice that changes the game for you. Shout out to Gong. Check them out to learn some more. Uh, and while you guys are doing that poll, Nate, you have extensive experience with something you call buyer enablement. Can you just break that term down really quick for the crowd? So buyer enablement is built around this idea that sales reps don't close deals, buyers do. Because if you look at the make or break moments in a deal, rarely is the rep in the room when a buying decision is actually happening. Mm. And so the question is, do you have a buyer or a champion who is in the room and have you enabled them with a clear message, the training, some of the points that JB and I are going to break down today to keep that deal on track? So- Good sellers enable their buyers to keep the deal on track. Buyer enablement. Buyer enablement definition right there. Uh, I want to tell you guys, we're going to get deeper into buyer enablement as we move forward. Uh, this is what you can expect today. We're also going to talk about what you guys can do to recruit a champion and what it means. We're going to get into that first. Uh, how you can help your champion talk the right way, talk the right language. John, what did you say the other day? Uh, you get introduced to who you sound like. <laughs> 
right? Or you talk to, you, yeah, you get pushed to who you talk like, right? If you talk features, functions, speeds, and feeds, you're going to get pushed down below the power line of people who talk features, functions, speeds, and feeds. If you talk vision, strategy, direction, alignment, you'll get, you might have a chance of staying up top there. Let's look at some of these poll, these uh, results right here to see who's in the room. No surprise. There's a lot of AEs here. Hey, I'm not shocked right there. Shout out to you SDRs. You're going to be an AE eventually at some point. You need to know this stuff as well. We're going to talk about some language at the end that you can start using right away that's going to change. But first, we need to define what a champion is. So JB, I know you have some very specific things that you say about the meaning of the word champion. So talk, talk to us about fan, coach, or champion. Yeah, I think the champion is the third most overused phrase in sales, quite frankly. You know, you always hear, like, I got a champion, I got a champion. And I actually, I don't even know if I like the word because it feels really good to say I have a champion, but really do you? And and the way I look at it is, and by the way, just for anybody listening, uh, you know, touching base and checking in are the first and second most overused phrase in sales. Champion is number three. Um, but a champion, like I look at, I, I look at fans, coaches, and champions. Fans are people who love your stuff, right? Who are like usually these end users, but they have absolutely nothing to do with the decision-making process or very little to do with the decision-making process. Coaches are people who can help you navigate through the organization, but you usually hear stuff from coaches like, hey, you didn't hear it from me, but this is what's going on. And if that's the case, like, thanks for the intel, but if I can't use it and you're not going to push for me because of that, then you're not a champion. Champion to me, and this is and this is actually where I think everybody coming out of this is a tactical thing that you can all do is just define what a champion means for you in your organization. It doesn't. There's not one right answer to it. I mean, we're going to dissect it a little bit here, but to me, a champion is somebody who sits in the room when the decision's made and they can fight for you, and they are impacted by this decision. It's like they are one of the most. They are somebody who actually feels the pain if this doesn't work. Right. So they're in the room, they feel the pain, and they usually break rules. That they're they're rule breakers to get things done. So that's what I look for. But just saying you have a champion, you have to look at for actions, not just words on that. So just be very careful and and like I said, I'm just gonna nail it down. Coming out of this webinar, I recommend everybody sit down with their team and just define what it means so that when you say it, you know what it means. Yeah, this show is about actionable stuff. When you say champion, don't just put a generic label on it and assume everybody is a champion. Nate, three I's, three T's, evidence and behaviors. This is all you right here, man. You, This is like tactical shit. I want everybody, strongly recommend you listen to Nate when he describes these things for you. You know, there's something sticky about three. So I, I talk in like rules of three oftentimes. And you, you just heard JB break this down. So when you think about the profile of a champion, often influence is missing. You could have a coach who they have incentive, like they want the deal to go through. They're giving you some intel, but they can't actually change the conversation. They're not in the room and that's going down. So you need all of those things. And having those things isn't enough. They actually have to put that to work. You have to see some evidence in their behavior, the way that they're acting. So the question is, well, how do you make sure that they're behaving, you know, like a champion? You, you test for it, right? You run some tests. The, so here are a couple of different tests that you can run. And what I'll say is there are certain tests that are valid, certain tests that are invalid. So for example, an invalid test is, hey, could you introduce me to your CFO tomorrow? No, I'm not going to do that outright. And that's fine. That doesn't mean that they're not a champion. That just means it wasn't the right test. So for example, if you, if you give them a customer reference and you're like, hey, before our next conversation, I know this, you know, two, three, four questions. These were really important to you. This customer, perfect reference, give them a call. 
very clear, black and white. Did they call? Did they not call? And it's value added, right? It's aligned with them. So they should follow through on that. So testing champions is how you figure out the difference between potential and the behavior of a champion. But again, it just has to be a valid, a valid test. Yeah. John, you remember back in like 2018, 2017, when we were sending NDA agreements to people to see if they would even sign them. And that was like an indicator that maybe they're closer to the power line. Well, that's a, that's a give get, right? Like, so here's a, again, tactical for everybody listening. When somebody starts to talk about like, you can either do it on either side. Like, Hey, will you sign our NDA? Well, that's a procurement thing. So can I talk to your procurement officer? But there's other times where it's like, somebody's like, I'm the decision maker. I'm the decision maker. You can actually say, Oh, okay. Well, look, we're at a certain point of the relationship now where, um, you know, we're going to start to see a little bit of the back office of what's going on here. So just to make sure that we're clear, can we sign off on this mutual NDA? And if you have somebody who's beating their chest saying, I'm the guy, I'm the guy, I'm the guy, and you forward off, hey, just sign this little NDA, people above the power line know that NDAs are kind of worthless. So they're, yeah, sure, whatever, just get it out of the way. People below the power line freak out about it because it's a legal document and they don't want to put their name to it. So if you told me that you're the decision maker and you're the person that signs this, but yet you can't get an NDA signed for me, you are not the guy. You are not the person in that process. So I don't use it all the time, but I just, when I start to sniff that somebody's kind of full of shit and they're saying that they're, they're, you know, beating their chest about, look at me. Okay, cool. No problem. And that's where I test. So I, I just test, right? And an NDA is a test. Ask, asking them to go get something for you is a test, right? Those things that Nate was talking about. Yeah. And I, I really like that. And I'll, I'll throw one kind of spin on there too, is sometimes Champions don't always fall along like org charts and titles. Right. You can have somebody who may be a manager level, but people they came from, let's say, a past company with a ton of experience on a new project that people look to and they're like, oh, what do they think? We need their opinion on this. They can sway the room. They may say, I'm not going to sign this, but I can get somebody who can. They get it done and they send it back to you. And I think that's exactly JV's point. So this is one of those non-obvious things that a lot of people will miss is they'll walk in and they'll look only at titles as an indicator of who can be a champion. That's not the way to do it. It's, a, it's also a two-way relationship and that transfers nicely into your three T's. But I noticed there's a comment here in the chat just watching it. Uh, it says real champions are the friends that we make along the way. Abe, I agree that champions often become friends, but I don't always agree that your friends are great champions. So I just wanted to make that distinction there. And I see every, both of you shaking your head there. You want to weigh in on that? Yeah, I mean, it's true. It's, it's just, it goes back to like people say, oh, people buy from people they like. That's no, that's not wrong. That's, that's not true. Yeah. People buy from people they trust. That's true. That's who they buy from. I, there's plenty of people I like and I'm not going to buy from them because I don't trust what they're offering or anything like that. So it's the same thing with friends. I can be friends with a lot of people but my champions don't have to be my friends. They have to trust me. I have to trust them. But me going out and grabbing drinks with them, like hopefully that'd be cool. But like I got plenty of friends. I don't need more. Well, these tests go both ways to earn that trust. And that's one of the things that Nate mentioned in his uh, content, which by the way, if you're not subscribed to Nate's content, you need to go do that. Um, and you'll get a lot of this. But these three T's, you're being tested for these three T's. It's not the other way around. Nate, describe how this works in the buyer and seller relationship. Yeah. So I was, I was interviewing, I, I do a lot of research with buyers and I ask them about what they like, what they don't like, how things go down with sales reps yeah. from their point of view. And one of the points that, so this is a uh, director of IT at a Fortune 500, owns a $15 million budget. His point to me was, 
I spend my career accruing social capital, chips that I save up in my bank, and then I have to go spend those down throughout the buying process. And the thing is, his point was, I spend those chips at every single step of the process, regardless of whether or not we actually get a deal done. So what a champion is doing is they're testing their sales rep to say, is this the person that I want to go the distance with and spend some of the chips that I've spent a lot of time and effort stacking up? And so the three T's that they're testing for, JB mentioned the first one, which is trust. Like, do I trust this person and that the deal is the right fit for us? Transparency, like, do I have to like hold some information back? I'm not sure what they're going to do with this, how they're going to use it. And then the third thing is teamwork is like, am I in a better position with this person than without them? Because if they're saying, hey, I'm going to be better off without them, that's the type of person. And we've definitely had champions who they're champions, even though they're not engaging with us, they go dark for like three months then they pop back up and they're like, hey, can we get the contract? We're ready. Mm. So if you want to be part of the process, true teamwork with that champion, they're going to test you for those three things. I love those three T's. And as we transition here, we like to hear your opinions. Here's my question, since there are a lot of AEs in the room, did you assume that everyone below the power line could be a champion. I made this mistake very early on and it took me a long time to realize, and it's okay to say I never thought about it this way. That's a perfectly acceptable answer uh, for this question. Let's talk a hypothetical, real quick hypothetical. Let's say that you're on a call, uh, Nate, John, we'll go back and forth. I'd love to hear your opinion. And a team lead, that's their title, agrees they're going to talk to their leadership. Put a one in the chat if you often hear, let me talk to my leadership and get back to you next week on that initial call. What's your initial reaction? What do you say to this person? Nate, you go first. And then John, that's the you. <laughs> yeah, so, they, so there are two things. One, I'd be curious to know like, great, what do you think they need to know? How would you describe this? And what I'm listening for is to figure out, are they talking about the things that are important to them? Or yeah. are they framing it in a way that is going to appeal at a company-wide leadership level? Because a champion's biggest problem isn't always the company's biggest problem. And so we have to help them thread the needle and create a bridge between those two pieces. Um, and then the second thing, and we, we were talking actually a lot about this um, earlier in the week, is like the agenda. I want to know, you can be one of three things. You can be the agenda, you can be on the agenda, or you can be after the agenda. So which is it? I'm, and I'm trying to categorize to set my expectations and to help our champion frame that conversation correctly. Like, where are we falling here? I like that. John, I'm going to pull these up really quick. It looks like, <clears throat> looks like some interesting results. Uh, while those are up, tell people what you would say in that instance. Yeah. I mean, it goes, it, it, it really aligns with Nate. It's like, okay, cool. So when is that meeting? Uh, third, you know, cause I want to know, is there a specific date for the meeting, right? Is it already scheduled? Oh, okay. Well, how's, what's the agenda for that meeting and where does this fall on that? Are you just going to bring it up to them as part of the conversation or is this like, again, the agenda or is it part of the agenda? Oh, and by the way, where does this fit on the overall priority list of the things that you guys are talking about in that agenda? Because that's the other part of this. Like, I mean, James, how many times have we gotten into it? Like, yeah, we, you know, there's 10 things on an agenda and, but we spent all of our time on one and two, cause those are the most important things and right. the other stuff is so... Oh, so now that I know that, then I'm like, okay, so how are you going to bring this up? Is this, is just, are you going to present something? Are you just going to talk to them about it? Like help me understand. And if they're just talking about it, then I kind of go into almost role play scenario. Be like, hey, can I just share some, you know, this is challenger sale type stuff if you want, but it's like, hey, can I just, you know, give you some feedback? A lot of times, like if you and I are in violent agreement, because you have to figure out first, 
if you are in agreement that this is worth talking about and the impact is big enough to be part of that conversation. So first, before you have any conversations and put them in any position to go have a conversation with their superiors, you better know what the impact of this is and how important it is to help achieve their goals and what they're trying to accomplish. So when you do that, now when you have impact, now you know it's important, right? Then they say, oh yeah, I'm going to talk. And when they say, well, yeah, we're just going to bring it up as part of the conversation, be like, whoa, hey, uh, part of the conversation, I like just make sure we're clear here. We just identified that this is a $3 million problem for you. Is Are we clear on that? If we don't come with a very uh, like thoughtful approach to that meeting with your executive, they're probably just going to like kick it to the side and whatever. So if you do agree, then I think we should probably take a slightly different approach. Don't you know, what do you think? Right. And kind of spitball it with them a little bit. And quite frankly, if they're still like, well, you know, I'm just going to do it. What I'll do is I'll actually put a video together for them and do it for them. I will actually yeah. literally like if it's a proposal, if it's whatever it is, I'll light up you know, a recording and I'll say, Hey, you know, I know you're meeting next week with X, Y, Z, you know, thought it'd be, I just thought I'd put together a little presentation so you can kind of skip a few steps here. Here's what we had talked about. Bing, bang, boom. Feel free to share this with, you know, that type of thing. So I'm in the room, even if I'm not in the room. And I, I love this comment of like being in the room, even when you're not in the room, video is a great vehicle for that. And it lends itself to this next segment that, that we wanted to talk about, which is language to use that actually does work uh, how do we teach? And this is something that Ian and Doug and you and I talked about on our last episode together was how do we teach our champions to sell internally? What works for that to go down? Uh, Nate, I saw you, you were ready to go on that when John wrapped up. Well, yeah. So John snuck something in there in the middle. <laughs> that if you missed it, it was really important. And he said, hey, we agreed that this is a $3 million problem. Oftentimes, we won't even get that far. It will say, hey, this is an issue. It's frustrating. Things aren't working like we want it to. We don't attack. But the legwork that goes into saying this is a $3 million problem and here's why, right? We, we, we went through the exercises to get the data, to quantify that, to get inputs from other people who actually hold the data that we need, right? So there are a lot of things that go wrapped up into that and can create a problem statement. And so many times, reps don't get the time they deserve because they don't spend enough time on a problem statement, which it, it truly does deserve. And so John was talking about video is one medium. Another great medium is writing. Like the things that you are working with, uh, your champion to develop like a problem statement to show why this is a $3 million issue, put that down in writing, share it with the champion. So when they walk into that meeting, they're not just going to wing it. Right? They have something to reference and to guide that conversation or to share as a pre-read. I can go into, into a story there if we have time for it, but creating the, the assets and the materials, if we go back to the, your first question, this idea of buyer enablement, sales reps as enablers for their buyers, what does your enablement team do for you as an AE? They're building out written materials to help guide and share and shape some of those conversations. You need to be doing those same things, but on an individual account level for that specific champion. And by the way, I want to throw a couple of things in here because if if you after, well, let's back up. I'll give you a quick example of how I screwed up on not knowing impact. I was working with a client and I found out that their problem was discounting. That's the problem. And I was like, oh, discounting. Let me show you how I could fix discounting. What I absolutely should have said was, oh, okay. So just out of curiosity, what's your average discount rate right now? Oh, it's 20%. What's your net new revenue target this year? 100 million. Oh, gee, whoa, holy shit. So effectively, we're talking about a $20 million problem here, right? Is that is that 
But, and, and by the way, what do you want to get that down to? We want to get it to 10, do we get it to 10%? Oh, okay. So really we're talking about a $10 million problem, give or take, like, I'm not going to go through an ROI analysis and all that bullshit, but I do want to see how significant is this and can we quantify it? And then once we do, and I ask you, okay, oh, John, we're going to present this next week. And I say, hey, can I be in that call? No, I, I got it. And you say, okay, well, can we kind of walk through how you're going to do this, how you're going to present it? If they are collaborating with you on that and they actually want your help because you've done this before and you have the data and you have a presentation, then you have a champion. If somebody's like, I got this, don't worry about it. I'll get back to you after next week. I would be very skeptical on it, whether that's whether that's a champion or not. And, and another small little test you can do is, okay, when's that meeting? Thursday. Fantastic. When do you want to schedule a call on Friday morning so I can get your feedback on how that went and talk about next steps? And then they'll say, oh yeah, just call me on Friday. No, no, no. What time on Friday? You got your calendar in front of you? Let me throw it on the calendar. If they agree to that, I'd feel a little bit better. But if they if they said, I got this, and no, I'll get back to you after the meeting when it comes. I would, I would, I would have red flags all over that. That's not your champion. That's somebody who's just telling you what you want to hear. Probably on a spreadsheet. You're the third, you know, thing that they're already making a decision on somebody else, and they're keeping you in the game to make you feel happy about it. Flag on the play right there. That's the red flag to look for. For those of you that have been in those situations and you're thinking in your brain, I should have recognized that red flag. Now you can moving forward. Uh, all right. I want to talk about business cases here. I'm seeing in the space here as we move forward with this uh, open model that even at the smallest level, people need business cases to present. Champions especially have to have a business case to present. Nate, how important is this? John, what's been your experience with business cases? Are they overrated? Is it something that we need to pick up on right now if we want to start being effective? Nate, drop it off. So I'll start with the word business case, because sometimes that can be a loaded phrase for a lot of people. They, yeah, and they'll, they'll conflate it with, to your point, like it's an ROI analysis, it's numbers only. What a good business case does is it creates a full narrative that connects the project that you're pushing forward to solve a certain high cost, high priority problem in a way that aligns with that executive's point of view. And so it's the narrative wrapper that does include ROI, for example, but in the context of a big, massive issue that is costing you a lot that we've already agreed, like, look, this maps to the thing that is your priority. And one of the best quotes that I can give you, I like, I, I love the way that Reed Hoffman's um, talks about priorities in the context of executive leadership. He says, leadership is deciding which fires to let burn. And so the idea is like, there are fires go going on everywhere. And if you don't have a compelling case to divert the attention, or to align with the existing attention of like, hey, you're already focused on this thing. This is the path to solving this. And you should be able to do that all in, in my opinion, one page, because if you can't do that in one page, you don't actually know the deal. You, you haven't done the work to get it down to a very concise narrative. Then what's gonna happen? Your champion's gonna walk in the room or even you will, if you are in the room, you're just gonna wing it. It's not gonna be ideal and so when I talk about a, a business case, it's that written narrative that combines all of those different elements to speak at an executive level in a compelling way. That's great. And when you broke this down, it really made a lot of sense to me. And I was surprised to hear even organizations at a small level for a small spend saying, I have to put together a business case. John, in your opinion, business cases, typically something frontline sales reps needed to know in the past? Uh, look, I think they like like Nate said, they take a lot of different forms. Um, I'll, I'll give you the approach that I usually take. I don't usually go through mutual action plans or you know very detailed business cases, but I do it 
in micro pieces all the way through and then summarize it at the end. So here's the nugget. And this is, you know, I say it all the time. This is my favorite nugget. It's uh, the summary email after the conversation. So you and I have a conversation, right? And by the way, this is for everybody. This is my most tactical favorite tip of all time. What you say is like, if Nate and I are talking after the call, right before I get off the phone, I'm going to say, Hey, Nate, real quick, before we get off this call, um, I'm, there's some next steps and action items here. Before I go ahead and do all that though, man, I'm going to briefly summarize what I was able to gain from our conversation today. I'm going to send it over to you in a quick email. Could you do me a favor and email me back to let me know if it's all accurate and if I missed anything? And so you get the yes. And then right after you get off that phone, do not write a book here. Okay. Google Jay Barrow's favorite nugget. This will pop up. The template will be there. And it's really just the core stuff. Your current situation is this. Your priorities are this. The impact is this. The timeline is this. The decision criteria is this. These are the next steps, like five or six bullet points right there. But you have to be clear on those things and then send it to them and see if they respond. I will tell you right now, if they respond, that is a great sign because usually people above the power line decision makers have no problem responding to that email because they know A, lying is a waste of time and B, you just did their work for them. I mean, when was the last time an executive took notes during one of your calls? It never happens, right? So you just do that. And if you don't get the response back, I'm not saying it's a red flag. I'm saying it's a yellow flag because people below the power line, non-decision makers usually have a hard time responding to it because it's not like they're, it, it's not that they're lying. It's just that they don't want to be held accountable because they know their priorities change so often. So I do that all along the way. And that's the connective tissue between every single meeting. Cause we then, Hey, is this still accurate? Is this still accurate? Is this still accurate? And at the end, when I have to now present, I bundle all those together, confirm, confirm, confirm business case. Here it is. I, I, to hear you explain it, it really, it sinks, it sinks in that we oversimplify these things. And we think that we can go in a straight path and we have to start thinking more about the differences in the way that sellers sell and the way that buyers buy. Uh, I saw a visual from Nate. I'm going to turn it over here so he can explain it. I loved this visual when I saw it. And if you've never seen this, take a screenshot of it, <laughs> attribute it to Nate. Because when I saw it, it made a ton of sense to me. And I think it relates back to what John was just describing. We oversimplify because we are self-centered sellers. We look for the outcomes instead of looking at all the details and the steps that we have to take to get to those outcomes. Nate, break this down. How'd you come up with this? So, uh, well, so we would do an exercise whenever we would close a deal. We had a great champion. We would send them an email to say, hey, we're excited to work together. No doubt you were doing a ton of work behind the scenes that we didn't, we, we were a part of, we didn't see. We'd be curious if you could walk us through that. And so we would map out the buying process. And after we had done enough of these conversations and looked at all of the different conversations, communications, corralling that our champions would be doing for us, it was like, wow, there's a massive gap. Not only is this not a clean and linear process, like we are just missing so much, um, particularly the fact that we would have contacts at different points in the buying process, yet we would have one deal record at one stage. And so the big idea that we came to realize here is that you could have a deal at one stage in your pipeline and a buying committee spread out across a ton of different stages in the buying process. And so kind of to John's point with the recap email, the question is, as a seller, how are you partnering with your champion to use internal communications to get everybody moving in the same direction at the same time as staying on sync so that the deal stays on time and closes as you expect it to? Yeah. And I, you know, you expect that, uh, 
when you when you look at it from that perspective, you, you kind of expect there to be a knowledge of how executives are thinking on the other end. And that's why I have one more to show you here from, and John, I would love to, your opinion on this. I think this is probably one of those ones where you saw it and you were like, oh, that makes sense. I have a lot to say about that. This is how executives think. They think in terms of priorities and trade-offs. I can do this, but I lose out here. I can lose here, but then I need to gain this if I do it. It's a risk game, and your champions play that same game. So, Nate, break this down, and then, John, I'd love for you to feather in how you have some stories around how this has worked in your career, because you close some big deals that have to go through ma major channels. So, I'll, I'll start back on that idea is like leadership is deciding which fires you're going to let burn. It's all about priorities. And so, from an executive's point of view, any issue that isn't immediately blocking a priority is just a distraction. They put it aside. And so, the idea is if you're talking to the CRO and you're selling, let's say it's some type of um, sales intelligence platform to help drive, you know, new prospecting, top of funnel, you know, so on. The, the premise that you need them to agree with is that accelerating new sales is going to be a faster path to that revenue target than doubling down and putting all of their time and energy on, let's say, net revenue retention and upsells. Now, it's not always mutually exclusive like that, but what an executive is thinking about is, okay, where am I going to invest more time, energy, and resources? What's the trade-off? If I double down on focus here, what can I do over here? And so there are multiple paths to one goal. And so the higher up in the organization that you're selling, the higher the level, the number that they own, the more and more inputs and varying paths that there will be to get there. So kind of the um, last point that I'll, I'll share on this, this means that your competition isn't the other sale and sales intelligence vendor. Yeah. The fact that you just don't get any mindshare at all and they just ignore the deal completely, even though you may have a contact who's a big fan of yours, they can't align that with what the executive is already thinking about and prioritizing. I mean, that's, that's ultimately it. It's like, oh, you know, and this is one of my favorite ways of going over somebody's head without pissing them off is ask them questions that they don't know the answers to, you know, and, and not, not to insult them, but to literally do what Nate just said there, as far as aligning with the priorities and ultimately you don't, you know, but this is the premise, which is, Hey, uh, when your CEO stood up in the beginning of the year, what were the two or three things that they said, you got to do this year to be successful? Because if I can't tie my solution, if we can't tie this to that, no, you and I could come into violent agreement about how important this is for this scenario here. But if, as we move this upstream to get budget for this, we're, we're going to get thrown out if we can't show that clear path to addressing the top priorities. Oh, and by the way, how have they changed? How have they changed? And, and, and this is for everybody listening to this right now. Every single second, third, fourth, fifth meeting you have after the first one, the first question you should ask every meeting is what's changed since our last conversation what's changed because if because right now things are changing literally weekly priorities are changing if you talked to me two months ago about priorities what i was i mean we were built for growth three months ago like we, we at the end of the year we were like all right let's do this let's get all this stuff in place because we're about to explode and then all of a sudden the bottom falls out of the tech industry in january and it's like uh none of that fucking matters anymore we got to do now do, do this so if you're selling to me if you sold to me a two months ago and and aligned with my priorities and i told you what they were and then you're trying to still still sell towards that today 
there's not a shot in hell you get mind share on me i'm saying sorry dude it's yeah nope 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 so you have to know what's happening not just with that business but also what's in the industry so you can proactively bring that type of stuff up and be like hey i've been noticing some stuff here i'm, I'm wondering if that's actually changed your priorities and if we should revisit how this aligns with those and empowering that person below with the right questions to ask at that level to make them look good right because you can either say ask those questions and say look I, it's okay you don't know those i need that information so could you either introduce me to somebody that could give me that information or can we build this use case together and can i give you the information that you need that that i need so that you can ask those questions and i'm going to make you look like a hero because i'm going to have you asking very thoughtful questions that shows the executive that you know what the hell you're talking about and it, by the way if they do that there's a champion for you we're circling right back to the beginning of this conversation when we talk about getting introduced to who you talk like right that's the same thing that's happening when you're building that internal champion so let's give them the language uh nate brace reinforce brace and reinforce map the priorities build a narrative uh, a native case what does all this mean in the eyes of that champion and in the eyes of the seller that's coaching that champion to be successful selling internally? They have a hard time selling their own stuff to their ICP. We expect them to sell my stuff internally. How do these things help them accomplish this goal? Yeah, so I'll start with that middle one, mapped priorities, to pick up on what John was just saying. So he had this question that was in there that was very good um, at the start of the year. You know, when your leadership was standing up, talking about kind of the two or three focus areas, what were those? Yep. Um, a similar question that you can use is like, what are the phrases that keep coming up over and over again in leadership calls, all hands and so on? And usually that is an indicator of the thing that is front of mind that they're already sold on and they've prioritized. The reason why that's important is John just you know shared that with JB Sales. It's like, look, it's a turbulent market. If this isn't the priority, everything else, it gets cut. It's not even going to be, be looked at. And so a great example of this, I was talking with the former CEO of SendGrid. Um, his name's Jim Franklin. And I was like, Jim, you know, there's this idea of trigger phrases. And that was, by the way, when you showed that business case slide, that was all the way up at the top. Um, I was like, were, were there any certain phrases that you would use to share, you know, just over and over with your team? And he was like, yeah, make the mail move, make the mail move. I was like, tell me more about that. He's like, that's all I cared about. That was my number one priority because it was a usage-based pricing model. So he was like, I wanted more accounts, sending more email per account, at higher deliverability rates. And so if you walked into my office with a project and a budget request that didn't make the mail move explicitly, I didn't even look at it, right? It was a distraction. And that that list of priorities is only shrinking. It's not growing in the current market that we're selling in. So you can um, ask for that, discover that trigger phrase, and then use that in your conversations and your follow-up emails and the business case over and over again, hit that trigger phrase. Yeah, I love the trigger phrase. We talk about triggers a lot, but reinforcing these over and over again, I think is important. Um, some of the things that we do here, reinforce all of the general ideas and our core values that we strive for every single day. We talk about them in the sense of the overall value that they bring. Uh, let's talk about the native case. I, when you say native case, what does this mean? This is a standard business case, or this is something that you're using language that they know? Yeah, what, it's two parts. One, you're using language that they know, but the idea here is you're asking for them, um, hey, when you are evaluating some type of new project, you're proposing something to your team. Is there any sort of standard template, material, format that you guys use? Maybe it's a Google Doc, maybe it's a PowerPoint deck. 
usually there is some type of framework that most teams use natively, internally. And so the question is, hey, would you mind sharing like a blank copy of that? I'd love to build out some of the recap and the materials that we've been talking about inside of that. I could share it with you. We'll work on developing it together. And so the idea is that when that message goes up to that executive, the person who needs to sign off on the deal, they're looking at it in both a medium as well as a structure that they're already used to. So you don't get any of this like translation problem of the language that you speak, others speak, and it's easy for them to uh, understand, comprehend, and then ultimately sign off on. John, I, I want to get your opinion on this because uh, you and I talk about champions pretty regularly. What do you what do you do when you've done all the things we've discussed? And I'm going to go ahead and launch this to find out what you guys are going to be taking away from this. What what action you will take from this as we move forward? But John, so often we try to do all these things. We check off all the boxes. We go through all the motions, and that champion that we decided is a champion just isn't successful. How do we take steps? What action do you take to go around this champion tactfully so that we don't rub someone the wrong way, step out of line, maybe lose a deal because of it? Well, I think this also highlights the point of why it's really important not just to have one champion. Yeah. Like, you got to multi-thread. You got to get champions in different places, different departments. And I I think that's something we probably should have clarified earlier coming into this. Like, I think people get so locked into their champion. And guess what? Their champion might be great, but somebody above them might not like them. Like, straight up just internal politics nothing you could possibly control yeah so that person no matter how hard they're going to fight the executive is going to say fuck off that kid sucks. i hate that you know guy. what i mean <laughs> like so so i think that's like a critical piece to this so that's why i would i would back up from this question yeah. and say because if because if you're the only single champion then yeah i gotta figure out a way to get around you and it's it's almost damn near impossible i'm not saying it's impossible but i i could probably count on one hand in my life that I had somebody who I thought was a champion and was able to go over their head and not ruin the deal, like yeah. ruin it. And my my least favorite ones are actually the people who are really nice to you, but they still won't let you go there. If the people who are jerks and pushing you back, those aren't really champions, so I got no problem going over their heads, da 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 But if you've got someone, oh, no, no, this is great, this is great, and you keep trying to get up there and they keep blocking you, that's the worst case scenario in my opinion. So that's why you have to coach them. That's why you have to ask them questions that they don't know the answers to. That's why you have to kind of help them create the business case, do a lot of it for them, the video, give them the tool so that they're not the one presenting if you don't have the confidence in them, that type of thing. But, you know, it's just, it, that's, I mean, my answer to it is multi-thread, multi-champions, multi-thread, because then if one is blocking you or not letting you in, you can just kind of go to the other one and be like, hey, what's up? And see if you can get in from a different angle. That's good stuff. Uh, Nate, I'm going to share these results with everybody so you can see there's a lot of people taking some good stuff away. It's a good spread. Uh, so it looks like everybody appreciated your value snaps all around. Uh, what did you? Uh, what would you do in that situation right there where you got to go around your your champion? Well, I, I think John nailed it. Is like we've we have been talking about champion in the singular form a lot. Sure, but you know you you combine this with the topic of multi-threading it's the exact same principle you need multiple champions and champions of different types and uh roles in the organization so for example if you don't have a technical champion as well as an executive champion as well as and so on you're going to hit different types of blockers and then the other thing is that oftentimes a champion may become a blocker simply because they don't know the person that you need to talk with 
is you start doing larger and more complex deals, oftentimes those are going to fall in between different business units. And in large companies, they may have never met or had a conversation with the person that you need to bring into the deal. And so it's where it's on you as the rep to proactively reach out and engage those contacts. And so I would reframe part of the question there to say it's less that you're working around or navigating around your champion, you're still enabling them because they want this deal, they're a true champion, they want this deal to go through, but they can't because they don't know the different people in the org that need to come into the deal. And you've seen way more deals close than they've bought your type of solution before. Yeah. So you, you, you have kind of a rough idea of the types of people who need to get engaged in the deal. And so this is another way that you can be proactive and again, enable that champion by bringing others in. I love it. Uh, we've got a question about bringing others in here. So let's move to some questions from the audience. We'll get a couple of good ones. This one comes from Philippe. John, uh, what's the best way to create a champion channel-wise? Would you say it's LinkedIn, calls, emails? Would you you say have to have a call. No, you have to meet. You have to, yeah. like this, like email, LinkedIn. Like that. You can't create a champion if you've never actually had a kind of face-to-face in this world scenario, in my opinion, right? Because you have to read body language. You have to, like, all that stuff comes into play as far as figuring out, is this somebody who's bought into me? Because I can I can tell you whatever I want to say on an email or a phone call. Yeah. But, like, when I look at you in the eye and I'm, like, my body language, like, that to me is, I don't I don't feel comfortable calling anyone a champion if I haven't had this type of interaction with them. Um, and then just a real quick on Vinny's question about uh, champion is not well-liked. A, if they're not introducing you to other people, Right, because I no no no, I got this. Then that probably means they don't like, and and if also they complain, if they complain about their internal processes or their internal systems, that means they don't like what's going on, and they're complaining because somebody else is putting them in that position. And so somebody who complains usually sounds great to me because I'm getting intel and inside information. I actually see that as a red flag because they're probably not liked within the organization if they're that frustrated with what's going on. Like how many times have you been in therapy sessions basically with your what sort of, you know, champion because they're just bitching and moaning about, oh, geez, this is such a pain in the ass and so and so. It's like, I've had plenty of those conversations and those, I at first I'm like, oh my God, look at how much they're, you know, leveraging, they're, they're opening up to me and they're telling me all this stuff. And now I'm like, oh shit. Nobody likes this person. Uh, I'm I'm now the kick the dog syndrome, and they're complaining to me because of how frustrated they are here. Yeah. That, and I guarantee, you if somebody's complaining to you, that means they've complained to somebody else, and nobody else has listened to them. So now they're listening to you. I'll I'll, I'll throw one more thing in there. Is at the start of a group call, just stay on mute and be silent and don't say anything, and and see what happens. It'll feel a little uncomfortable for you at first, but you will learn a remarkable amount of the the dynamics inside of that buying team. Like, are they jumping in? Are they catching up with the champion? Asking about that thing that was personal and like saying, hi, does the champion take the lead? Do they start to corral the group? Do people listen and they take their direction? Or is the champion, quote unquote, sitting back waiting for somebody else to take the lead? So the first minute of a group call when people are kind of logging in, just sit and, and look and see what happens. And Vinny, I think you'll, you'll see it's pretty revealing. Good stuff right there from the experts. I hope y'all got a lot out of that. Uh, Nate, how can people follow you, connect with you? Uh, what would you? Where would you suggest they go? Two places, uh, LinkedIn, Nate Nasrallah on LinkedIn. And then I uh, also write long form kind of write-ups on topics like multi-threading, building champions on our blog, uh, fluent.io backslash blog. And uh, uh, check out either place. And thanks, guys. And I just want to say, uh, John, James, thank you 
very much for having me. It was oh, a blast. So I, I, it's, I, it's our honor, man. Thank you for bringing your wisdom and your value. John, tell them, tell them about Instagram, buddy. Yep. It's uh, John Ambarrows. That's my handle. Free consulting. I'll answer any question that you got um, about anything. Uh, so hit me up there. Video is the fastest way. LinkedIn, please don't try to connect with me on LinkedIn. This sounds humble brag, but it's not. It's more annoying. I've reached the 30,000 limit on LinkedIn for connections, so I can't accept anymore, which sucks. So you can follow me though. Uh, and then last but not least, we are coming out with some hot stuff here from a training standpoint. So if any company is looking to uh, take that next step, our individual memberships, we're coming out with a corporate membership right now that you can actually put on your credit card. So pay attention. We're launching shit in March. Keep your eyes open, y'all. We want to thank you for coming out to the show and investing in yourself. You are the reason that we put this together. It's for the people like you that want to get better every single day, 1%, maybe a little bit more if you can. We want to give you the resources to do it. Follow us on social. Check us out, sellbetter.xyz, and hit us up on LinkedIn at sellbetter by JB Sales. We'll see you tomorrow when Leslie tells you how to lead your team in today's economy. Have a great day, everybody. Go get them. Later, everybody. Let's make it happen.